Automated Podcast. Welcome to Automated. I'm your host, Mark Verbenkov, and in this weekly podcast, we will be exploring the impact of emerging technology on jobs, society, as well as us, with business and technology leaders, researchers, and independent professionals across the world. So today's episode focuses on manufacturing, and specifically how neural networks and artificial intelligence give small and local manufacturers the ability to be better connected to opportunities around them, reduce both the business development and administration friction experienced by new entrants into the space, as well as what the future of manufacturing may look like. So to talk about these issues, Jen Ryan and Adam Bo of Zometry come onto the podcast. So Jen is a senior vice president and head of seller marketplace at Zometry. Though she has expertise in design, implementation, and leadership of global delivery systems, Jen also has an on-the-ground background in manufacturing, which I really think gives her a valuable perspective to the discussion points that come up today. Adam, on the other hand, is the head of community and marketplace engagement at Zometry. Uh, Adam and his team provide the industry's best educational content and events, as well as amplify the voice of the thought leaders in the community that Zometry supports. So Adam comes from a background of sales, marketing, and product management, but he's also a podcast host where, among other things, he's able to dive deep into the challenges and successes of manufacturers within the Zometry ecosystem. So if you've ever been interested in manufacturing and automation in general, I think that today's episode really gives some solid insights into how this industry has been and will continue to transform. Hi there, Jen and Adam. Great to have you both onto the Automated Podcast. Uh, it's great to have you here. One of the things that I just mentioned off air is the thing that I like to start off with all my guests. It's kind of a little bit as to why you're into the work that you do. So we'll be talking about uh, zometry today, uh, manufacturing, both supply and client side. Why did you guys get into the work that you're doing today? Uh, maybe, Jen, we can, we can start off with you. Sure. So in... 1990, I was in um, a pink collar job. I was a bank teller and I was making $5 an hour. And there was a night shift manufacturing job and it paid $8.25. And that is a game changer. And that was my entree into learning that there are uh, great jobs in the trades. I started in print and that they are not, those jobs are not traditionally jobs that women, um, really think about. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then that goes to my passions. So what it did for my family, um, what being in manufacturing did for my family. And now I'm really somebody who thinks, I hope I I come off as somebody, because I do think a lot about how do we become more inclusive, right? Why are people of color underrepresented in manufacturing? Why are women underrepresented in manufacturing? So um, that's something I think a lot about. Let's see, I got into to manufacturing. I've been in manufacturing my entire career, actually. So I started uh, working at a company called Big Ass Fans, which uh, is focused around the comfort uh, of manufacturers, uh, the workers in the manufacturing uh, mm-hmm. space, also agriculture and uh, distribution, et cetera, right? Literally, they do large-scale industrial fans. Um, so got into, into that work because of a cool name and a, an awesome work environment, right? But then I found a true passion for 
uh, for American manufacturing and, and, you know, intro into manufacturing across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so join Zometry with a focus in the manufacturing community, which is this incredibly vibrant space of folks that are doing similar work, right? Like a lot of times you, you view uh, small businesses as, as competitors in, in a lot of industries, but in the manufacturing space, there's this amazingly vibrant network of small business uh, owners and operators and machinists that lean on each other for, um, you know, support during the hard times, education, et cetera. Right. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, there's just this uh, fantastic kind of underworld of, of the manufacturing community that I found super interesting. And so um, my whole passion is about empowering that and, and driving that forward and, and, you know, enabling connection uh, as we move to a more digital uh, environment Um, and what has historically been kind of a, you know, a, a local situation, it's moving more digitally. Um, I, I think something that was kind of interesting in both of the things that you guys said was kind of maybe connected to a little bit more of the challenges that the manufacturing uh, industry is going through, right? So, uh, I mean, I'm Canadian, I'm now uh, situated out here in Barcelona, but definitely when I think of uh, manufacturing in America, I I think more like World War II or the post-World War uh, era, and maybe less so in the last 20 to 30 years as, you know, globalization has uh, increased and a lot of these kind of jobs and the whole production has been um, outsourced to places overseas. Uh, Maybe you guys could touch on a, a little bit of the overall challenges that you see within the manufacturing industry, because I think that's, I think, a, a good place to kind of situate the discussion that we're going to go into. Sure. I think it's also, I appreciate that you tied it to kind of post-World War II industrialization and mm-hmm. globalization. We know that there are more than 13,000 um, small manufacturers just in our sector, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who work in creating parts. So while there has been um, an offshoring of, of manufacturing, there's also a vibrant, as, as Adam said, manufacturing community. I think there's a couple things that are, are continuing challenges. One mm-hmm. of them is that um, as the U.S. fell in love with a certain path, you know, everyone should go to college and then do this. Mm-hmm, we didn't, mm-hmm. we lost the, we lost some of those strong manufacturing jobs that are great. So I think that one of the things we see is that we've lost, you know, that, that, um, and we're, we're getting it back, but that mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. of these manufacturing jobs that really put, took people into the middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the U S now we see people again, um, seeing those jobs as, you know, we look at college debt, we look at the college system in the U.S., those jobs are fantastic jobs, right? I'm, I'm, I'm evidence of what those jobs can do. So when you talked about the challenges first is mm-hmm. that we have a manufacturing community, but those jobs have not necessarily been understood the way I think they should be, right? Um, as uh, great jobs for um, strong middle-class jobs, it's yeah. coming back. Right. Yep. Secondly, I think, and, and I'm really interested, your podcast is fascinating to me. And one of them is what are, and I don't like to think of it as the limits, what's the right application of automation? Yeah. There's amazing things that automation can do. Um, they have not, and if you look at just um, CNC in general, right? Like what an amazing application of technology. That hasn't changed the fact that you still need skilled machinists. Yeah. I, I think we need more information there. The third one that is fascinating to me is the pressure of aggregation and disaggregation. 
So disaggregation is, is often thought of as, you know, we, we want to work against disaggregation, but disaggregation has the most opportunity for small business and aggregation um, really uh, compels centralization. Yeah. So I hope I don't sound too wonky, but what I'm really talking about when you talk about challenges and we think of it, look at the, what happened to our supply chain with um, PPE and other things we needed to fight the pandemic. It was small manufacturers who really in many ways pulled us out of it. So that, so my narrative is respect for the jobs, I think is a challenge. I do see a resurgence, mm -hmm. um, but then the second one would be application, you know, uh, people understanding, and, and I love debating about it, what is the real application of automation? And then the third one would be, I like that you talked about globalization, you know, how do you yeah. use it as a tool, but also aggregation and disaggregation of demand, of manufacturing processes, they create challenges and opportunities. Right. Uh, Adam, do you want to, uh, to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that um, the what she touched on with the the, the jobs is, is really interesting, especially as you start to look at the um, there, there's been huge technological leaps in, in uh, manufacturing recently. And so even within the jobs, right, you have mm -hmm. this this uh, older generation of machinists that have been in the space for a long time that we're having to do manual CNC and, and manual lathe work, right? Uh, whereas now you've got computer programming that can set and work your machine for you. And so a lot of the kind of like black magic as it's called internally is has been taken out of the work, right? And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. that, but what Jen said is, is also true. You, you still have to have skilled machinists to operate, right? So you have this really interesting dichotomy of split between the the older generation and the younger generation that also still lean on each other also still coach but then you you're having trouble recruiting some of the 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 you know and filling some of the new jobs that there's a lot of opportunity for those work so mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. i just wanted to expand on that point because it's a it's a very key one yeah I, I also think so coming also a little bit from a kind of more european context that's also one of the things that we see uh quite often and i think it touches a little bit on kind of the, the cultural aspect that you were mentioning jen how you know a lot of these jobs might not be seen anymore as interesting or or even as as worth going into so we're actually seeing kind of uh more job openings but not too many people to actually fill those jobs mm -hmm. where maybe automation might be one of those key tools to to deal with that um uh, I do want to jump into the the reason that you're on the call as well today to talk about zometry. So uh, I think that this is a, a unique word, a unique uh, name for a business. Maybe we can uh, have a little bit of a description as to what this company is and what exactly uh, it is that you guys do, because I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So Zometry is the world's largest on-demand manufacturing platform. So what we do is we connect someone that wants to make something with someone that will make that thing for them, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we do that through our instant quoting engine and it puts data science to work for our customers, right? Um, so it's a proprietary platform that enables engineers, product designers to instantly access the capacity of a worldwide network. So it's 4,000 plus manufacturers uh, across the world. Now, it's the latest neural net-based machine learning techniques. And so what you can kind of think about with that, and those are like buzzwords for me, but what when I actually like think about the definition, right? It's a neural network help us like cluster and classify. So we get a ton of, of uh, quotes submitted through 
uh, our instant quoting algorithm. And what it does is it uses the, um, the information from the partner network on when jobs were taken for what price at what lead time, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, the dimensional data of the product that was used to help price that uh, for the customer at, you know, uh, the, the most uh, market value price for the customer and also pay the manufacturer a good rate for that work. And then, you know, the, the manufacturer across the world supplies our customers, um, anyone from BMW, GE, NASA, Dell, Bosch to uh, Mark, if you wanted to make something, yeah, right? Yeah, if you yeah. had an idea on something. So largest companies in the world to, to you know, one man idea shops. Um, so yeah, um, I want to pause there and make sure you don't have any questions on anything I said before I keep rambling. No, the the um, uh, only point that I had on that, and this is something that I came across when I was actually reading up on uh, the business uh, on the website, was that, yeah, it's interesting how uh, it also is still relevant for these smaller manufacturers and even for the smaller clients. I think that's, uh, uh, I, th- I think as the conversation will evolve, I think that's actually one of the key points that uh, is, ve- is very interesting for for us and for anybody listening as well. Yeah, I mean, the majority of our partner network is small manufacturers yeah. and, and small business owners, right? And then on the flip side of that, you know, the customers, we, we have uh, college students that are looking to, to you know, launch their idea and, and have a prototype. Uh, and we also have large-scale production runs, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jim noted on the PPE for the COVID response, right? So it's anywhere in between those. Um, you know, like I said, from the largest companies in the world to a college student, and a majority of it is from small manufacturers uh, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have the opportunity to connect with a NASA or do work for them um, without a platform like this. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually, it's interesting you say that, Adam, because both Adam and I work in the seller marketplace, which is the part of Zometry that is completely focused on meeting the needs of these micro shops and small businesses. And I'm in the part of my career where the meaning in my work really matters, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm convinced, I've seen it, I've been at Zometry almost two years, I'm convinced that um, we are forever sealing a compact with small manufacturers to bring them work they couldn't Mm. otherwise do to help them disaggregate those, these huge projects Mm -hmm. um, and to lift them up. And so when I, so the things that, you know, we were obsessed, we talk about, we're obsessed with small business. And when we think about the things that are the, um, that a talented craftsperson shouldn't have to be um, obsessed with cash flow and um, running your shop. The idea that we get to spend our time thinking about how to solve those for our small mm-hmm. manufacturers um, with, you know, th- there's a calling in that. And, and that's one of the things I'm excited about, about Zometry. I think I really like how Adam hit it on the head, which is the barriers for a small shop. I'm thinking right now, but of a small shop in Southern New Jersey, the barriers for them to get to work with some of these huge multinationals um, are tremendous yet because of our technology and because of our reach, we bring these tiny shops um, to these big opportunities as part of our business. Further, when the supply chain seized, right, um, with the, as the uh, pandemic uh, spread, our disaggregated distributed network became the only thing that could produce. And um, we were able to continue to have product flow. So as you, I hope it's coming through. I I consider our small shops to be, they are the manufacturing heroes um, of this country. 
Yeah, well, that was actually one of the things that I wanted to bring up uh, maybe a little bit later in the discussion, but, uh, you know, how COVID specifically impacted uh, Zometry, but also the the smaller manufacturers, because we keep hearing about all of these, whether they're small mom and pop stores or, or just smaller businesses in general, just being eradicated by uh, the restrictions, the lockdowns uh, across the world, not just in America or, or um, Europe, but elsewhere. So it's interesting how a technology uh, that Zometry offers can, you know, help or solve the solution or solve the problems that a lot of these uh, smaller uh, manufacturers in this case are actually going through. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the small mom and pop stores that you touch on, like restaurants and yeah. boutique, uh, you know, clothing stores, et cetera, right? Like that they were impacted significantly by, by places being shut down. Um, Zometry was actually able to work with our, the small manufacturers in our network uh, to allow them to stay open. And we had a, we had an internal uh, program called the partner resiliency program. And it was all centered around how do we, how do we show up for the folks in our network in this time of, in, in this time of need. Right. And, and so what we were able to do is uh, obtain essential business letters um, for at pretty much everyone in our network. So mm-hmm. they were able to stay open during this time and not only stay open, but uh, you know, we focused on fitting work with them that we knew that their shop could could take. So, you know, there some of it was uh, there's this natural kind of self healing nature of of networks, right? Like these, they almost mm-hmm, function mm-hmm. as like uh, body parts and uh, you know within a human body where if you hurt your shoulder, right, your arm, you know, muscles and your back muscles kind of make up for it. But yeah, yeah. Um, so there's this natural self healing, but then there's also there was a, a huge focus internally to, to show up during this time for, for the folks that are the engine of our business. Right. So, um, you know, through that partner resiliency program, we actually saw a lot of partners have, you know, a, either a fantastic year or one of the best years that they've had and, and were able to grow. Um, I'll just uh, amplify that with, so specifically as we saw the pandemic move, um, first of all, we, we have invested in expertise in, in business continuity. It's a practice and an art in itself. Mm-hmm. But as we saw that pandemic move, unlike um, companies that have made single source, and source could be a country or a, a region who've made single source decisions, we've invested. It, it is actually less expensive to have fewer people in your network. But we've invested in having a very broad network. And that meant as certain nodes fell, as um, as China went offline, Europe and the U.S. can step up. And then as Europe um, started to, you know, have uh, really feel the effects, you know, we know how big the U.S. and we know how varied it is. And we saw that, as Adam said, our technology, but also the the can-do attitude of American manufacturing made, made stuff happen. And so mm-hmm. this to me gets around theories of of centralization and decentralization. It gets to me on theories of uh, the independent ability of nodes to operate. And we don't have to advertise it anymore. We proved, we proved it. We delivered 97% of our US-based um, manufacturers were open throughout COVID and we delivered on time and our revenue growth shows it. We were, um, and it was the strength of our manufacture, our distributed manufacturing we were the dependable source of manufacturing mm. through COVID. Yeah, that's great to hear. I, 
I kind of want to take a step back before we go too much uh, further, and maybe we can talk about the technology itself. So, uh, Adam, you were talking about uh, these neural networks, and I guess the the AI that's enabling these these kind of uh, matchmaking sessions to happen. Can you touch on that a little bit further, so that people can have maybe a bit of a clearer vision on what exactly is happening? Yeah, absolutely. So we're oh, we have over eight million job offers that has run through our partner network, right? And so uh, during each of those job offers. Um, what happens is our our algorithm learns as the pricing of the based on basically the uh, the material that was used right the uh, mm-hmm. the design for manufacturability so the DFM feedback that that users get what that means is how is a part likely how likely is a part once it's manufactured actually to work right so if you have thin walls etc it might collapse um so all of these these types of data points are used and and clustered and classified to be able to to output the the final price point that that comes to both the customer and the partner right which makes us both more efficient because we say okay we know partners are going to take it at uh, this price point at this lead time, right? And we also know that we're going to win here for customers uh, on the front end. So it's this it's this really robust uh, algorithm that it was built by. You know, we always come back to our people, right? So mm. we have we have people that are it's our own data science team. Um, they're made up of of folks from physicists for the masters and PhD level, mathematicians, computer scientists mechanical engineers, chemical engineers, everyone that could touch both the manufacturing side of things and to design this, this robust algorithm. So um, it's, a, it's really a phenomenal tool that both serves the customer and the, the partner network um, to be able to deliver there. Uh, mm-hmm. But as Jen said, you know, we're also, the, the technology side doesn't stop at the instant quoting engine because we're also automating um, you know, the, the accounts receivable and the accounts payable for our folks through the, um, uh, the seller marketplace. So we're launching mm. financial tools, we're launching uh, quoting and quality tools, right? So all of these things that, that the small manufacturers have to deal with as well, that's where we want to, you know, take our automation and our technology and apply it to those solutions, because we want the manufacturers to be able to focus on what they're phenomenal at, which yeah. is manufacturing right so there's there's technology within the instant quoting engine but there's also technology in other places that we're using to automate um some of the small business motions that our our you know network members have to have to do every day yeah that's really interesting it sounds like the uh, the friction to for, for doing business for some of these smaller manufacturers sounds like it's it's being eroded right as as these um automation technologies whether it's the marketplace itself or or beyond that uh, seems to be a little bit uh, developed over time that's that's very sure. interesting yeah. i think um if if you guys you know i'm interested if you guys agree we talk a lot about burden to quote And when we think manufacturing automation, I think all three of us have a love of robotics and the advanced manufacturing jobs that are made possible by by manufacturing automation. But when we think of things like burden to quote, I mean, we understand from our small manufacturers that are the best, the best part of my job. And I, I would imagine Adam would agree listening to small manufacturers mm. they, and we're building solutions for the, for them. Um, deciding whether or not to go after an opportunity is one of the most important decisions a small manufacturer makes that sunk time and that's lost time for our owner operators. Many of our shops say that 
the way that they use Zometry's instant quote allows them to pursue more projects that are more in depth because they've got a steady stream of revenue that they don't have to quote, right? Mm-hmm. That they're able to come in. And it's really interesting. Um, there is magic and I, you know, our algorithms and our technology team, I would take them to battle anywhere. Um, I think what's also interesting is that the democratization of the approach, each of our shops uses Zometry a little differently. We have shops that are hundred percent Zometry. That's, they make a great business running that. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of shops that use it very differently. Um, and I don't mind uh, bringing up again, the, this kind of approach promotes inclusion. Working with people you know is the best, is, we all love it. It's also a closed system. And in these kinds of systems, supplier discovery is unlocked right? Mm-hmm. You didn't mm-hmm. know. And sometimes it's regional. You didn't know that yeah, there was yeah. that there was somebody who maybe wasn't in your social or business network. Similarly, and I, we've already touched on it, but it's an open network in which uh, a small shop might think, I can never possibly work on this, but actually through uh, technology, they can. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's very interesting. That was actually one of the things that also uh, I guess was highlighted for me when I was when I was looking into Zometry. It was that uh, you might have these regional networks, but the the actual business that you know maybe it's only two or three people uh, in a in a manufacturing shop, but they they don't have the marketing reach, they don't have the communication mm-hmm. reach, uh, they might never be discovered, even though the the actual need is I don't know maybe only um, well we say kilometers, but only a couple of miles away. Um, yeah. I thought I thought that was very interesting when I came across that. Yeah. And- What's also interesting is that it, you can look at, uh, they can put the instant quoting engine and, and the network to use for themselves as well. So like that two to three man shop may be able to knock out the machining portion of the work, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't have finishing capabilities, right? right. But they're right. excellent manufacturers. So they manufacture the part and then they actually use our network to get the finishing of that part taken care of for that job mm-hmm. right so they're like man i could absolutely knock out the cnc portion can one of you guys handle the finishing right and so mm-hmm. they're able to work together and to to take on work that maybe they didn't think that they could because they don't have finishing capabilities in house so it allows them to expand their capabilities internally um, to take on you know more and interesting work that, that's really interesting have you have you um uh, specifically talked to maybe a couple of these uh, smaller businesses where like I think the question I'm asking is like, what are some of those either skill changes or capability changes that happen in house? Uh, what one of the one of the major kind of mega trends on the podcast that keeps coming up is, you know, when automation is applied, it enables those those people on the ground to change their skills, whether it's uh, you know upskilling or otherwise. I, I think that's a very interesting idea. I was just curious if you had uh, any kind of um, case studies or, or user studies from that. We yeah. have so many we could take. I'm sorry, I was gonna say we could take over your podcast. And <laughs> right, I, you right, saw right. me like gesticulating because yeah. that's the. Um, I want Adam to respond, but Mark, you said something really important, which is as somebody who grew up in manufacturing, of course I had fear. I remember mm-hmm. when when printing went from from um, you know creating plates to um, a digital workflow, and the and of course your first response is fear. And then all of a sudden the jobs, what, what really happened, it wasn't all of a sudden, is that the jobs that that um, that remained, it required flexibility, but they really advanced manufacturing jobs. So mm-hmm. Adam, I know you have a couple of case studies. I have a few too, but get yeah. it. Yeah, so uh, first of all, I mean, this is our like day-to-day, right? Like uh, as, as head of, and I, I'm sure in the bio, right? You'll include this, but mm-hmm. my job's head of community and engagement from, from the manufacturing side. So 
living and breathing the community, I'm always talking to our small shops. And one of the things that uh, I think is the most interesting is that they use the job board um, to basically be able to track the market, almost do like market research, right? Mm. So if I were to invest in this type of machine, which I would have to, you know, learn new things and and kind of expand my my capabilities, then I know there's jobs out there, both on Sonistry's job board, but also probably locally, regionally, et cetera, right? So they use the job board as kind of market research and will expand their capabilities internally to match the market and help to grow their shop. And we've seen a lot of success stories in in taking that strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they lean on the manufacturing network. Like there's, you know, they, in the manufacturing world, they talk about YouTube Academy, right? Like just watching YouTube videos after YouTube video, some guy or gal learning a machine or teaching how to, how to use the fifth axis, et cetera. Right. So um, I think our technology helps to, uh, mirror the market and and help them to expand their capabilities. And then mm-hmm. other technology like, you know, YouTube and et cetera, um, allows folks to have instant access to educational material as well. I, I love that answer. And I'll, I'll go ahead and Mark, I'll, I'll pile on top of that one. Mm-hmm. I think about a small shop in Auburn, California. And one of the things that the digitization of this space has allowed is that an owner operator can start a business right? Mm, You do not need four guys anymore to start a shop. The other thing is that you can really, we all know that the cogs in these businesses are are tough, right? You're in manufacturing because you love it. I I believe that it is a passion Um, and the cogs are tough. I think another thing, and I'd be interested, Mark, if, if you see the same in listening to your podcast, I hear this as a theme, is that it really relaxes some of the co- pressure on the cogs. You can mm. run a nice small manufacturing shop that's really turning a nice profit, a good living for your family with three to five people. And before we had the automation in the space, it wasn't possible. The number of machines you needed, the capital investment, the um, the time to train, right? This is still a job that needs to be trained. We see, uh, I visited a technical college in uh, East St. Louis uh, last year. And you see that someone really can, it, it, instead of 15 years, you might be able to really be a machinist too in four or five years, right? I think all those things are brought on by automation and um, and they're the good side. So not sure if that's what you were looking for from us, but as you see, we, we, we think about it all the time. Oh, and I wanted to say that. So I was thinking of that small shop in Auburn that was doing well with an owner operator. And the the, pride, the careful planning, but also the pride that happens when you've got enough work that you can bring on one person and the automation lets it scale, right? Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can add people when you need to, rather than having to have that fixed crew um, that you might've needed 15 years ago. Yeah, no, that's um, uh, it's very interesting and very on key, very on point for some of the things that come up in the in the podcast. Because I, on the podcast, I, I bring on a number of different guests from different industries. Um, but yet, I guess connected to that, there's kind of two things also that I see. There's uh, obviously like large scale changes where it still requires massive amounts of, of people, uh, overhead, etc. Uh, a good example of that is always like autonomous vehicles. It's, it's required... Uh, like, Thousands and thousands of people are required, but that's a more like new and emerging technology. Uh, 
a kind of a fun example that I always use is uh, the po a podcast, right? Um, say 10 years ago, it was uh, 15 years ago, it was it was radio, you needed a whole radio station, you needed to be able to do this with uh, you know, building the kind of capital uh, was very intense to start something like this. Whereas now, uh, you know, we're, we're on zoom, uh, all we really need is a microphone and some interesting, uh, you know, freeware tools to kind of edit and do these sorts of things. So uh, different industries, but I still think that the same trend is there, we're, we're able to do more with less. And automation is one of the kind of key tools to enable that reduce to barriers to entry. And yeah, I hate yeah. those buzzy words, but <laughs> you said it much more elegantly than than I was saying it, which was it is e you're right, it is easier to start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, Adam, you had uh, something else to add to uh, to what we were just talking about. Yeah, it's it's not zometry technology, but as the machines, you were talking about case studies, right? Mm -hmm. As the mm -hmm. machines and, and the technology within the, the space uh, becomes more advanced, uh, there was, uh, plug my own show, right? Amplify with Adam, we've got it on, on the zometry side of things. Uh, the the Our first guest ever was Andrew. Uh, he runs a, a CNC shop down in Crestview, Florida. Um, and his whole workforce is ex-military. Uh, none of them have any training. They're right next to an Air Force base. Uh, none of them have any training in the manufacturing spaces. They're coming out and looking for their kind of second careers, right? Uh, but but Andrew, what his whole goal is, is working himself out of a job. Um, and so he sits with them and trains them, but it's training on, on the machines and, and you're not having to have this, um, you know, kind of going back to our, our workforce topic earlier, you're not having to have this like 10, 15 year learning curve uh, within the space, right? The technology is at a point where that if you really dedicate yourself for a year or two, right? Like you, you are yeah. a, a, a thought leader in manufacturing and, and, and lathe machining, CNC, et cetera, right? So yeah. it's gotten to a point where the, the technology itself has empowered folks to enter into the space. And then for the folks that, you know, were, have been machinists their entire lives, to work themselves out of a job and actually start their own their their own business, and then we get into the you know the technology that the zometry uses to to empower them. Um, so kind of the, the topics that we've already covered there. But I, I thought that was a really interesting thing for Andrew that he talked about all of his 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 workforce no experience in manufacturing, uh, but yep. but you know he brings them on there. Yeah, that's um, that's also one of the other kind of large trends that keeps coming up in the conversations that I have on this podcast, uh, and it's uh, it's specifically focused with with training and learning. Over the past year and a half, two years, I've become a virtual reality enthusiast, and I've had a lot of guests talk about VR. And uh, some of the guests have um, they have businesses where they actually uh, the VR enables training. So that was also one of the things I wanted to to touch on um, regarding COVID. Like if if you have seen maybe some of the training has been changed during the course of COVID, uh, maybe I'll, I'll end it there and then touch on kind of the future ramifications or future things that we can look into uh, afterwards. Adam has a really um, nuanced view of this. And he, in fact, mm. works with um, Adam. I would love, I, I, I'm so excited about some of the initiatives you have with our partners. I'm going to have a proudly have a mom view on this, which is if you'll experience about me, if nothing else, I am true to, you know, I have a theme and I'm true to brand. I think we'll have some catching up to do. I think of the people that I want to see in manufacturing are lots of people like us and lots of people we haven't seen in manufacturing. One of the concerns I have is that if you haven't grown up in the world of technology that maybe my kids are growing up with, and you're going to learn this middle-class job. And the expectation is that you're going to learn it all remotely. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have my mom voice, which is, I want to see lots of different people 
And that's going to happen with um, hands-on training, with access to technical colleges, with a real apprentice uh, system. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make the plug that I think um, technology is gonna play a really important role. But if those of us who have a passion that we want to see lots of different people in manufacturing a complete virtualization of training, um, we all know that what training can't do is teach you how to be in the shop. Yeah, yeah. What shop etiquette is. It can't tell you what's the right way to access somebody else's tools. What's the right way to ask for help? Adam, yeah, share yeah. some of your thoughts and what you're working yeah. on. Uh, I mean, I'm an I'm an eternal optimist, right? So you'll you'll hear a lot of the the things that I talk about. Uh, obviously, there were struggles with COVID, right? But it, it highlighted opportunities as well. And so I I hear from from a lot of folks in our network, and one of the things that we're working on, right, is is what Jen's talking about. So it's this, it's a hand in hand virtualization of training with running um, like uh, short events within shops that are not. Uh, you know, tech schools, right? This is a, a small business that's mm-hmm. diversifying their income by saying that for a week you can come and learn introductory into manufacturing, right? And you'll come into the shop and, and learn how to manufacture something while at the same time recording that and putting it up on YouTube so that anyone that has a, that wants and has access to a machine can learn those things. So you see, and just to plug some influence here, you got Titan of CNC, you got John Saunders, um, you know, very soon you'll have Todd White, right? So you've got folks out there that are that are producing amazing content for anyone that wants to learn. But you've also got small businesses that are saying, I want to give back to the local community. And at the same time, I want to start to kind of make a, you know, spread my brand around. So the two things they're doing is that they're they're hosting local events uh, within their shop and it's touching on the shop etiquette and you know, mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. the more nuanced things there along with the machining, but they're also recording and producing those. It's your podcast point, right? Like now, as long as you've got a ring light, uh, you know, an iPhone 12, right? Yeah, that yeah, can yeah. produce like movie level quality recordings um, and, you know, access to a computer where you can upload a file to YouTube. You can be a an educational influencer within the manufacturing education space, right? So um, I think training, there's been this really amazing kind of underscoring of the opportunity there is that a lot of folks utilize the, the uh, you know, the digital education platforms that we have. Um, but then they're also saying, hey, we need more educated workforce. The way we do that is by investing in our local community and mm. showing them the amazing opportunities here. And the way we do that is inviting them to our shop and showing them that it's not, you, know, you touch on World War II, right? If you go into a shop nowadays, it looks more like an operating room. Uh, in a medical facility than it does, you know, a dirty, grimy spot where you're you're shoveling coal into a fire. You know, I think pulling back the curtain on that and showing that this is a high tech industry, um, you know, really, really um, can, can help energize folks into getting interested in it. So um, that was a broad answer, but I hope it kind of touched on your point. Yeah, yeah, and also thank you for the visual because I think a lot of uh, maybe listeners might still have that older image in their minds when when we're talking about uh, manufacturing, uh, when it's certainly not the case anymore. Um, uh, Maybe a little bit connected to this, uh, one of the things that I also like to kind of end uh, podcasts on is kind of like the future vision, right? If we're talking about, uh, for instance, digitalization of training, that would have been something maybe five, 10 years ago that people would have been talking about, like this is the next thing that's coming up. 
maybe we can touch on like what the next 10 years would look like if it's a, if it's anything different from what has already been said uh, you know we recently had the news of uh, like microsoft mesh coming out that's enabling mm -hmm. uh, um, augmented reality on a collaborative scale right whereas hololens was more one one to one we're now having you know multiple people enabled to have you know kind of a hologram in front of them um, and i think that there are some like large uh, manufacturing uh, applications for this that's just one example, but do you guys have maybe a sense of what the next 10 years is going to look like uh, for manufacturing for both, you know, local and uh, maybe more international? Well, I have three things that I started to think about when you said that. I think the first is you're going to see a revolution in quality as the 3D technologies become more accessible and the price reduces, you're going to see that quality is going to be able to be measured at the source at each time you turn apart, each time that you're, um, and you're going to, I think when you look at your boreholes and things, you're, you're, you're going to see a revolution, you're going to see a revolution there. I think that the ability to predict quality is going to take a big leap forward with, from these technologies. I think secondly goes to, I've seen some really interesting VR applications around assemblies, part assemblies, and some of the things you're going to be able to test again back at the manufacturer. So I think you're going to see these tightened timeframes that are really exciting, right? I also think you're going to see the manufacturer play a really important role. If I've got these technologies and I'm telling you this, you know, I'm, I've got a, uh, a micro measured part, and I've got the VR application to see how it fits into an assembly. You can also see it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm now going to be playing a big role in recommending changes. Hey, th these parts don't fit together in our VR. What can we do? Um, the third one is I think we're going to see some of the, I think we're going to see large scale manufacturing that is agnostic to the number and location of participants. So I think that these things that have come out of COVID that that zometry really was at, at the forefront um, of, I think we'll see more of that. I think you'll, you will see big manufacturers, um, I'm sorry, big projects and, but large and small manufacturers being able through technology to play that role together. Adam, what are you thinking about? Yeah, so uh, you touched on it a little bit, but, uh, and I by no means am promising this, right? Like I don't have any energy. Yeah, of course. No, I'm course. holding you to <laughs> But, but I, I, do, I do see, you know, from a, a quality and inspection side of things, and also the, on the front end on design for manufacturing, you know, I see Tony Stark and, and, and Iron Man, you know, like when he's building something and he's yeah. able to expand and pull apart, right? That obviously has huge implications for designing a part for DFM, but also for the quality side of things etc right now the other thing that i look at that is maybe not directly on technology but i look towards the spirits and the the liquor industry right so you look at these kind of micro brands of um of bourbon and, and you've got micro breweries right yeah. uh, everyone it feels like has a tequila label right now right um and so you look at the the micro breweries the the micro brands I, I start to see an explosion in small manufacturers as we ring this bell on the opportunity to own your own business. The, we lower the barrier to entry. Um, and so you start to look at a network that uh, becomes uh, incredibly robust across the world. And so you, you have less of these 200, 400, 500 person you know, massive manufacturing plants. And I, I think you see a huge explosion in the, in the five to 20 range of, mm. of small manufacturers. Um, just like we saw 
Um, and I actually don't know this, if that was the case in Barcelona, but just like there's a brewery, a local brewery on every corner of the street, it feels like now, right? Like you can go somewhere that only, only does chocolate peanut butter stouts, right? Like yeah, that yeah. is their, that's their niche, right? But then you go down the street and you get a great FBA spot. So uh, I, I think you see a, a, an explosion in small manufacturers um, as you see, as the technology makes it easier to enter and, and the, the benefits of the industry um, become more clear. Very interesting. Well, I, I guess maybe in five to 10 years, I'll have to have both of you guys back on. Um, I guess maybe the final thing, uh, I'll have the Zometry website up. OK Zoomer, Adam, is the podcast that you're connected to. Uh, do you want to yeah, plug we've that actually in? Got, we've got two. Yeah. So we've got Amplify with Adam, which is our more manufa- small manufacturing uh, base. It's where I interview folks within our partner network and thought leaders in the manufacturing industry. And then we've got OK Zoomer, which is more of our customer facing, right? So you're going to yeah. talk to a lot of product engineers, uh, electrical engineers, et cetera, right? And then if you want to get in touch with Jen or I, uh, you know, linkedin.com slash in slash Jen Ryan Zometry uh, for Jen. Uh, and then mine's the same one, linkedin.com slash in slash Adam Bow, B-O-W-E, uh, Zometry as well. So perfect. Great. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, as I, as I said, maybe, maybe in a couple of years, we'll have to have you guys back on. Thanks again. Yeah, we'd look forward to it. Thank you. Right on. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast and the conversations here, the best way to do this is to go onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review as it helps the algorithm to reach out to new listeners and brings the show to them. Also, feel free to check out the website, automatedpodcast.org, where you can find the show notes for each episode, written articles on the themes of the podcast, and a library of resources on the topic of emerging tech and automation. Also, if you want to reach out and leave any feedback or you have any questions about the podcast or any of the conversations, there are general contact links such as email, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. for you there on the website. And finally, for those of you that want more than just an audio conversation, the video recordings are now going to be up on YouTube for the newer conversations. So feel free to check out the videos by searching for Automated Podcast on YouTube, where, of course, you can like and subscribe if you prefer to support the podcast that way. The Automated Podcast.